You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is one of the NBA's greatest rebounders, New York Nick, Charles Oakley. During his 19-season NBA career, today's guest has been Michael Jordan's on-court bodyguard in Chicago, Patrick Ewing's defensive anchor here in New York with the Knicks, and of course a veteran presence who guided Vince Carter and the upstart Toronto Raptors to their first playoff berth, back in the day. He's also a chef and entrepreneur and a newly published author. It's my pleasure to welcome Charles Oakley to Game Time. Charles, it's great to see you, and I love the name of the book, The Last Enforcer. It seems like you're trying to send a message here with the name of this book. Well, Game Time, that's a message. But, uh, yeah, the book is the book. A lot of good stuff in it. It's just, you know, over the years, doing podcasts and talk shows, being on the back page of New York, you know, papers. And I want people to understand my growing up what brought me to this point in my life, my family, my friends. So here we go. All right, so here we go. So let's start out with today's NBA. Look, you were a rough and tumble player. You could have been the Reggie White of the Philadelphia Eagles when you played basketball. That's how tough you were. Is today's NBA gotten soft, too soft, in fact? It's a different league. It's more of a showmanship game now. Um, a lot of threes, a lot of showmanship on the floor. If you watch the NBA All-Star I mean, that was like, you know, you could have been walking through Central Park and shaking it by hand at the same time. But that's definitely a different lead. <laughs> it is a different lead. And, you know, three-point dominance, everybody's shooting the threes and everything else. How do you think you would fare in today's game? Well, my thing, my game travels. So it's just like playing 82 games and you go on the road for 41 play 41 at home. So I think I really would do well in this league because guys don't shoot like they used to shoot back in the old days. They shoot more threes, but they don't make more. <laughs> and back in the days, you had most of the guys shot like 47, 48 percent from the field. In today's game, most of the guys shooting 43, 43, 43, 42. So you know the percentage is down. So you know it'd be more rebounds. So I think I definitely played. wasn't a lot of you know wear and tear now, just up and down. You know, Charles, I'm a huge Nick fan. You know, there was never a big three when you guys played. There was never a big three when Walt Frazier and those guys. But you know, they brought in Earl, Earl the Pearl there for a final run. Um, does it bother you that the NBA is all about now player empowerment and trying to get to the big three to win a championship? Well, great question. Only thing I really hate now, how the players, some players doing it. You get your AD, your James Harden, they forcing their ways out of these contracts. They sign in five years, but play two years. The third year, they want to be traded to somewhere else where they have friends at. The good thing about LeBron contract, he, uh, he, he signed short term and left. He didn't leave during his term of his contract. But it's just a different league now. More money, more fame. You, you can, like, social media, you can go post your own stats and this and that. You don't have to be a star on the court 
you can just get do something on the sideline, they'll follow you. So it's just a different time, and they're making a lot of money. I think, you know, we made the way. Somebody made the way for me. I hope they continue to empower because they got they got a lot of sin, a lot of sin and things right now. That's a good thing about it. They're not just yeah. making money. They stick, they sticking together more, and we did back in our era. But the teams getting together, big threes. I think that's going out the window now. You just got to get good basketball player with good IQ, like Milwaukee did. You know they don't have a big three. They say they do, but they really don't. They just got a great guy with good players around him, and that's what showed last year in the playoff in the finals. All righty, we're just getting warmed up with the great Charles Oakley. When we come back, we're going to look at Oakley's early days as a strapping young sapling. So stay with us as game time continues right after this. You're watching Game Time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back to Game Time. Now, Charles Oakley was the youngest of six children raised by a single-parent mother on the mean streets of East Cleveland. Now, according to Charles' sister, get this, folks, Sarah Lean said her brother was pretty much a pampered being the baby of the family. All that changed during the summers he spent in the care of his grandfather, Julius Moss, on a cotton farm down in rural York, Alabama. So tell me about your grandfather and the influence that he had on you, Charles. Well, I really talk a lot about my grandfather in his book. He was the cornerstone uh, just to see him as a kid and what he had to do for his kids and my grandmother, uh, how he raised them, how he showed he was the man of the house. He went to the field, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, worked a couple hours when he walked to work, come back, went back to the field. He was just giving it all, make sure his kids grow up with something that they can look back and say, wow, my grandfather put on the line for me. Let me get my act together. And that's what made me do. My, seeing him, I didn't want to let him down. I didn't know I was going to be an NBA, but the work was going to pay off in a good way. So I got all that from him, my grandfather. I can understand why you're so tough then. You know, another influence who also toughened you up was your six foot ten, two hundred and eighty pound high school coach Lauren Olson. So what was that relationship like? He was a ball player, but he was like I said, looking up at him and just seeing like we we eye to eye we still eye to eye this day almost. I told him he got a little shorter, but no, it was great <laughs> that he, he cared for his, you know, guys in school and not just, you know, but just wanted to be ball player. He wanted to be good people on the outside too. So I give him a lot of credit, you know, go back to my mom. I used to go to work, had to catch two buses back and forth. And my same thing, I had to catch two buses back and forth to school. So it was a lot of work put in this. So it wasn't just all me doing this. You actually played defensive end in high school for the football team. Yeah. I mean, by the looks of you, you could have been like the next Reggie White. I mean, yeah. why basketball over football? Well, you know, I think when I chose to go to Virginia Union, I want, you know, they wanted me to play both, but, my, you know, time and effort, you know, you had to get up by, in college, you got to probably get up by 4.35 o'clock in the morning for the first practice, two practices a day. But I decided I was just going to stick with basketball. And when I was in John Hay playing in high school, a teammate of yours, Tim McGee, he, we played together. So I know, you know, you can throw the pass to Tim down in Cincinnati. Yes. But no, it was, it was, it was good. Though. I stayed with one sport. Uh, playing two sports in college is tough, especially in the South. Is, you wake up seven, you know, five o'clock in the morning. It's seventy-five degrees. You can try to get to the field, eighty-five, ninety. So it was a lot of the quiet and tear, but it looked like I made the best decision going to play basketball. I concur. Yes, I concur. You made the right decision, and you lasted nineteen years. I don't think you would have made that long in the NFL. Right. That's for sure. 
We'll return to ask Charles Oakley what Michael Jordan was really like after these messages. Brought to you by the Ford Bronco Sport. Built Ford Tough. It's time for a change. Instead of working from home, work from your luxury suite at Midtown Manhattan's crown jewel, the Kimberly Hotel. Now offering special monthly rates with the most impeccable safety and hygiene protocols to keep you safe. Welcome back to Game Time with Boomer Esiason. I don't know if you've ever tried to hammer a nail into a piece of pine with a knot in it, said former Virginia Union head basketball coach Dave Robbins, adding that the pine knot will bend the nail. That's how tough Charles Oakley is, Robbins said. He'll bend the nail. And legendary Bulls GM Jerry Krause scouted you at Virginia Union, thought you'd be able to protect Michael Jordan. So what was it like protecting Michael Jordan when you first got into the NBA? Born in Chicago as a young coming out of the Virginia Union, I had a lot of, you know, was believe in myself and hard work. So when I got to the NBA, you know, early in the summer, you do a little mini camps, a couple weeks go home. And I told him I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to find a ropes on the system, this and that, show him I was dedicated. Even though I'm from a small school, you always got to show more. So I did all this stuff that, uh, you know, like I said, if I get here, I'm not going back. So I I brought my bag with me and my, <laughs> in my um, lunch bucket. And I was like, you know what? Let's get it going. So, you know, went on with the season. But it was great be out there with Mike, this and that. And then we got to be closed. Once we got to be closed, it, it been, we just been tight. He did the forward in the book. What more can you ask? So we still there. We still like brothers. What did you think of the Last Dance documentary that came out on him? Well, number one, I was surprised he did it because he never been out like that since the Hall of Fame speech. And now you see him in a 10-part series on ESPN sitting there, as they said, the GOAT, talking about his action all and off the court with his guys when he won a championship run in Chicago. Uh, it was it was surprising, but we needed that at that time because of the pandemic. We needed somebody who can uplift everybody. And I think he really did that because, he, like you said, every time he do something at a magnified, like the Hall of Fame in this last stand, people are like, wow, wow. Now you're going back. They talking about who to go between him and LeBron. They, like I said, the cornflakes, fossil flakes, they right there together. Uh, so it was just a great thing he did, and I think a lot of people benefit from it. It was it, it got a little shaky because some people got mad. But my thing is, I mean, it was just it's a story. It's his story. So after the, the last dance, I called him and talked to him. He said, well, a lot of guys mad when he shouldn't have did it. But I didn't make him do it. So like I said, he had the more control. And you just had the mic, so whoever got the more control going with it. So he went about it. People love it. Hey, like the, like at the um, All-Star this weekend. It was a lot of yeah. chit-chat going on, but a lot of people listening, and he was doing a lot of talking. Yeah, there's a lot of chit-chat going on, and he was doing a lot of talking, no question about that. I got I to gotta ask you, though, if you had the first pick overall in the draft and LeBron and Michael are there, who are you taking? Man, I got to go on. with the Foster Flakes, Mike. LeBron, <laughs> hey, he understands. I mean, to be out of all the pictures that seen All Star Weekend, who they who they show hugging one another? The two Michael the, and LeBron, the yes. Cornflakes and Foster Flakes. Yeah, they all on the same brand. <laughs> you know, thankfully for us, anyway, and maybe not so much for you. I, it depends on how you look at it. You did play ten seasons in New York. You got traded 
to the Knicks for Bill Cartwright. Now, it worked out really well for them, and it worked out well for us. What what was the feeling when you got traded, and what, how, what was Michael's reaction to that? Well, number one in the book, I talk about when I got traded, we was at the Tyson and the Sphinx fight in Atlanta City. Me, him, and Richard Dent. You know Richard Dent for the yeah. Bears. So we talked about it for a few minutes. He said, man, I'm sorry, this and that. You see my man? We just went on. I wish I could have been there, but things happened a lot. I, I could have went to a better place. New York, yeah. they named New York, New York. So my, I grew in New York, too. So I, I had a ball in New York. The only thing about New York, I wish the fans could have seen us coming down Broadway, Madison, in a nice parade. You know, that's the only thing I missed. Yeah, you missed it, all right. And I'll tell you, I was right there with you in 1994. You know, under Pat Riley, you guys made the finals. And at that same time, I'm sure you were aware, the New York Rangers were in the finals as well. And they win the Stanley Cup before you end up going to play the Houston Rockets. I'm just wondering, uh, you know, were you guys under even more pressure because of the success of the Rangers in the same building? Um, I mean, I'd be glad they won. I mean, I used to go to the Hawkins game all the time. But I didn't look at pressure. I mean, I wanted to win. Like I say, all I guys wanted to win. Uh, we just we we should have won, but some things we made as a team, and we got to take our blame. And I think that the light was bright, and we 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 didn't shine enough. Um, so hey, I wish that we could have got back. Because the hardest thing to do, you know, get back yeah. to a championship in basketball, football, or hockey. That's the hardest thing to do. That's you know, that's why you don't see a lot of team repeating too much because it's hard to do. I was at Game 7 in Houston with you guys. I was just telling John Stark, stop shooting! Yeah, well, like I said, we get, uh, one thing about us now, back then we didn't get stat sheets on the bench as a team. Now everybody on the team gets stat sheets. So if you see somebody 8 for 10, 8 for 9 on the bench, you're going to say something. It's coming with coaches. Coaches get stat sheets. So we got to – but we took it as a team. You know, we ain't going to blame John about it. You know, if he would hit the shot in Game 6, it wouldn't have been Game 7. Hakeem blocked it. That could have been the shot. So, You're right, man. There's always something. All right, we're going to be back in a moment for more with the great Charles Oakley. It's game time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back, everyone, as we continue with Charles Oakley, who is renowned for his tenacity, durability, and consistency. But despite all of his accomplishments at the mecca of basketball, Oakley will always be associated, unfortunately, with an incident that happened on February 8, 2017. That's the night that Knicks owner James Dolan ordered Garden Security to remove Oakley, then a spectator, from the premises. And I remember waking up the next morning, Charles, my heart was broken at, at what happened between you and the Knicks and, and Jim Dolan. So in your words, and, and where are you now with the argument with the Garden? I think that what happened was, was, was it was a message from someone, and, and it, it, was, it was a bad message because it happened in front of 20,000 and, and, and millions of people watching it. It was a TV televised game. I'm just sad for the fans who have had to watch the pain of, of seeing me get, you know, drug out of an arena that I played 10 years, I mean, a whole decade. I'm just feeling like I don't know why. I mean, never shook the man's hand before or nothing. And I, then I get here and, like, I said something to him. I mean, how can I say something to someone and 20,000 people and nobody else said nothing about this? But we try to get over that. It's still in court right now. 
So it's still out there in the wind. So hopefully that we can squash it and move on with life. You know, you guys met, uh, you and Jim Dolan met with uh, Commissioner Adam Silver, and Michael Jordan was on the phone, as a matter of fact, in that meeting. And you guys just couldn't come to an understanding at that point? Well, I mean, the understanding was it was still a lot of pain, you know, like you have a surgery and stuff. And Doc tell you don't go to the house for two or three weeks, and you go out the first day after, uh, day after surgery, it ain't going to work out. So my thing, it was still in my heart, isn't that I, I was the gentleman to meet with him, number one. I didn't have to meet with him. You know, it was doing All-Star in New Orleans. They released the press release to make themselves look good, but they still left me in the cold because we didn't get, really get no kind of arrangement out of it. In your book here, and I read this too, and I didn't even know about this story, uh, this was at uh, the 2014 All-Star game down in, in New Orleans where you ran across Jim Dolan. He wouldn't shake your hand. You then went to LeBron James and his, uh, I guess, his agent, and you said that, you know, Jim Dolan wouldn't even shake my hand. And then LeBron said to you, that's why I'll never come to New York. Yep. In New Orleans, 2014. Matter of fact, I was with him, Rich, Randy, and uh, Maverick. And Wes, like, I guess he, he worked with the Knicks now. And, you know, he had a run in with one of the LeBron guys. And uh, so he still, you know, come around and speak to him. But he came over there. I would never do this back there. He said, I said, so, you know, the owner of the Knicks. I said, where well, yeah. He said, in the back. So I got my friend Jacob. And we walked in the back. He said, uh, you know, whatever. This is Oakley. Da, da, da. He, wouldn't even, he wouldn't even turn around and shake my hand. I'm like, what? My mm-hmm. mind, like, wow. Yeah. So so I went back and told LeBron, he said, that's why I'm going to New York. He don't respect, he don't know how to handle himself as being an owner. So I said, it's just bad. You know, that's what a lot of people in the league think about him. You know, first thing I said, he got a lot of money. I understand that. He started this whole yeah. thing by sending them guys over to me for no reason. I was only there for 10 minutes. Wow, man, I'll tell you, you know, Charles, just is there any chance for the Knicks ever to be good again under these circumstances in your eyes? You, you know what they said? Always start upstairs. I mean, I, I mean, they got to put somebody in basketball who knows basketball, you know, for it's like, I mean, I don't blame him for everything. You got to blame him for something. But they said the head of the snake, the one that can bite you the most, hurt you the most. Um, so he, 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 I think they panic quick when the stuff don't, it take time to build stuff and they, yeah. they don't want to go through the rebuild. So they go out and pay money for bad pieces. They'll match. And then they put them in worse shape. So hopefully, I don't know. I thought after winning last year, you know, not to say I hate all the Knicks and that, but you can see, I thought last year was full goal before the season last year. Cause they call a lot of teams at the right time this year. Mm. It's just like it's like almost a letdown this year because you expect to win forty games next year, forty five. You keep going up; they they going down. So I don't know uh, what it is they trying to say to the coach, but I blame a lot with players. These players are not dedicated enough. They don't get their craft enough, and then when something go wrong, they can't handle criticism, and that's mm-hmm. bad in the league. Yeah, it is, Charles. It's a tough being a Nick fan these days. Well, it has actually been a tough being a Nick fan the last 20 years. All right, we're going to be back to set up some final possession plays with Charles Oakley right after this. Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds, protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe.
You're watching Game Time with Boomer Esiason. We're back with the multi-talented, always surprising Charles Oakley, of whom former teammate Doc Rivers once said, Oak will fool you. It's like he thinks you're getting too close to figuring him out, so he throws you a little curve. It's like he's saying, you think you know me. Well, what do you make of this? So, you know what, Charles, uh, you've been honest with us on this, uh, on this show, and we appreciate this. Tell me about the importance of the Charles Oakley Foundation and what you're trying to accomplish with it. We do a lot of inner city work. Um, I went to a shelter set Friday. We, we cooked 750 people, and I did went to my high school for a pet rally. We gave them T-shirts and stuff. But the foundation is like getting group in, in the city stuff programs. We go, after we do that, we're going to start a scholarship program. Basically, I just like to go around and get people together and talk to them and try to put them on the right track. Because it's a lot of people out here looking for someone to tell them some, uh, advise them about something to do. And we don't. We need more from other people like the foundation, not just having a foundation and don't never get involved. Just a name. My my foundation. I'm deep involved. Anything go out, I know we'll go out. I know we'll come in. So thanks for asking me about my foundation in Cleveland. All right. So I want to make a donation to this foundation, but I want you to cook for me. And I want you to cook for nine of my friends. So 10 of my buddies are going to sit around a table because I know you're a chef and I know you like to cook. You know, I would love to do that. I would love to do that because you invite me on your show. And I think that uh, by doing this for you and putting you on my platform, as open <laughs> foundation, we will really grow, we will grow from that. Because New York fans, I've been doing a lot of that. So it'd be really down my alley. I appreciate that. All right, Oak, man, I appreciate it. It was great talking to you, man. I wish you the very best. And good luck with the book, The Last Enforcer by Charles Oakley. And he sure was the last enforcer, that's for sure. Thank you, Boomer. Thanks. Our thanks to Charles Oakley for joining us today and to all of you for watching on Boomer Esiason. And I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with Edmonton's high-scoring all-star, Leon Dreisaitl. You own an all-star, I think, that, that drive. That, um, that drive we got to all the same, it's the same, it's the same way happened this year with the LA Rams playing against Cincinnati. Yeah, You have to bring that up. I mean, you know, you really want to get it to game I did get it to game seven. A lot of people no. don't know that, though. Both times this team, Cincinnati's last two Super Bowl was the last drive, right? Yes, will you stop already with that? I mean, man, you got to keep pounding it into my head. It's unbelievable. I'm still hurting, too. I'm still hurting too.